This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Ben's episodes are so awesome. They're under 30 minutes. They share stories with world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success. Ben is a great host. I've been on his show. He's been on my show. He always really digs down and gives you actionable stuff that you can take away and do. And he's always bringing up new stuff the science of advertising, how to figure out what to automate, just things that, that marketers are wrestling with today. Check it out. It's the MarTech Podcast. Find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance. My guest today is Tom Stanfill. He's the CEO and co-founder of Aslan Training, a global sales enablement company appearing nine consecutive years in the Selling Power Top 20. Since 1996, Aslan has worked with many Fortune 500 companies, training more than 100,000 sellers and leaders all over in 35 countries, actually. Mm -hmm. So he's also the author of All Over the World. Well, I, he's, I probably got to be the same thing. He's also yeah. the author of Unreceptive, A Better Way to Lead, Sell, and Influence. So uh, welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you, John. I was very excited to join your podcast after uh, I know you're a prolific author author and I was excited to meet you. So thanks for having me on. So some people in listening to the intro might uh, think, gosh, this is the guy that's trained 100,000 sellers. So we have him to blame, huh? But I am trying to solve that problem. John. Uh, the customer, it. It's funny. It's, it's <laughs> one of our biggest clients, Merck, actually agreed to, to endorse the book because they want their customers to know that they sell differently. Like yeah. They're focused more on serving than selling. We are trying to change the way people sell. So a, a big idea, I think, that you're trying mm -hmm. to propose in this book is certainly contained in the title itself, Unreceptive. I wonder uh, if you could uh, talk a little bit about how you're using that in the context of selling, just as really our mainline definition for now. Yes, it's it's a problem that's been growing rapidly over the last probably decade, is that as the tsunami of information that we're customers are receiving, they're just getting overwhelmed. I think the increase has been 5x in the last couple of decades. And as information, the explosion of information, the customer's receptivity has continued to climb. And so we keep developing new and better techniques to try to win the customer over, but it only works on this shrinking group of people who are open to what you're talking about, who are looking for your solution, where customers are now moving more and more to the internet, their, their information is available to them, and they don't want to talk to sales reps. So yeah. McKinsey did a study recently that said that the uh, number of customers who want to talk to sellers when evaluating a solution has dropped 120% in the last three years. So receptivity is on, on the decline. And here's the thing that was the, the main premise of the book. Selling doesn't work when you're talking to people that are emotionally unreceptive. It actually backfires. It, yeah. And I, I do want to get into that, but let's talk about what we mean by selling too. Is this idea of receptivity before I'm even going to take a phone call or an email or even talk to you has to be done? Or does it also carry through to, do I trust you enough to make you my solution provider? Is it every step along the way? Every step along the way. From the moment you reach out via email, yeah. 
the first sentence you write to all the way down to the, obviously to the end of the sales process where you're trying to ultimately win an opportunity. Receptivity should continue to build. And if it doesn't, you're not going to win. And so the traditional approach where people are just learning to make their business case and learning to communicate their value prop and learning to differentiate their solution, all those things are really good. But if the customer's not receptive, it, it just doesn't work. So does the value proposition go out the window? Do we not have to have that? Or are you just saying you're not going to give, you're not going to get the chance to actually communicate it if you're not received? Or they won't believe you. Yeah, the, the, the best way to think of it is, is this way, is there's two dimensions to selling. There's the customers, the, is, the soil has to be fertile. I talk about it as the seed versus the soil. If a farmer wants to grow a vibrant crop or successful crop, they start with the soil. If the soil's not fertile, then the seed doesn't matter. And the same is true with the customer. If the customer is not receptive, then your message, the seed doesn't matter. So your message being the value prop will never be um, received or been planted, if you will, embraced if the customer is not receptive. And so we're all about how do we create a fertile soil? And then at the same time, we want to enhance the way we, we deliver our message. So that's really the main point of the book. And we just talk about how do you continue to create a fertile soil and develop that receptivity all the way to the close. And the other thing is you could also have a receptive customer and you could lose the receptivity by how you interact with them. Sure. So let me ask you this. What role does marketing play in making a sales force more receptive? It's a good point to talk about sales. A lot of salespeople aren't receptive to selling because they don't, they know they're going to get rejected. They know that the typical approach isn't going to work and marketing plays a role in that. But the main thing we work with marketing on is how to change how they're delivering their message. The best way to get the attention of the customer prospect is to talk about what's on their whiteboard and not talk about your solution. We're right. constantly teaching sellers about the solution. We want you to sell more of a certain solution. We want you to get more meetings. We, we want to expand your footprint in the account. We want to quit, move from selling this to selling that. So what do sellers lead with? They lead with their solution. And marketing right. talks about all the benefits of the solution, what's unique about the solution. That's all really good. But to create the fertile soil or receptivity, you need to first lead with what's on the decision maker's whiteboard. If you want to get the decision maker's attention, you need to talk about something that's on their whiteboard. And so that's where we start with marketing is how do we reposition the messaging in a way that the customer embraces it? So I get, um, as I'm sure most people do, I mm -hmm. get all manner of pitches today, yeah. essentially cold calls, some in the form of email, LinkedIn requests. And the, the, the challenge I think somebody like myself and certainly most people, even if they are trying to solve problems have is that, one in 25 of those may be the answer to my prayers, but mm. I don't have time to figure out if that's the case. Right. So, you know, so I'm guessing in a lot of ways, what you're suggesting is how do you become that one in, how do you clearly become that one in 25? Exactly. Or maybe let's say 25 are reaching out to you and actually you may need the services of five. Yeah. But you're right. You rejected four of those five and only listen to the one because of the way they delivered the message. But yes, that ultimately is what we want to do is we want to describe the problem that the customer has. And if we right. can change the way we communicate, because all they're doing is they're deleting the matter. Less than 2% of the emails are even read. So we're just, people are just deleting the messages. And we're not getting our messages through. So like an IT company reaches out and says, Hey, I have IT services. And so they start talking about their IT services versus they need to talk about what is the problem that you have? that ultimately will lead them to the IT service or the solution that they offer. So how does, you mentioned the idea of what's on their whiteboard. How do I get a mm -hmm. peek at that? How do I know what's on their whiteboard? Great, great question. If it's a very strategic account, 
for a seller who's calling on a company that they obviously it's worth investing the time, they right. need to they need to do a little bit of research before they reach out to the decision maker or at least the person they think is a decision maker and gain that in, insight. And so they versus guessing. If it's not a strategic account, they need to look at the profile of people they serve. If you're serving a VP of manufacturing, there's only three or four things that are on the VP of manufacturing's whiteboard. And if you get to know and understand that profile and become a student, you can guess. Either way, you've got to lead with something that's important to them. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that just always I scratch my head mm -hmm. is that the, a lot of people are taking stuff that's on their whiteboard and they're putting it on LinkedIn and Facebook and you know other yeah. places and clearly sending signals up. And it just always amazes me when people don't take the time to at least familiarize themselves, even vaguely, with what might be important to that person. And I think that comes from the idea that we, start, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast is because the market's shrinking, they're speeding up and trying to send yeah. more messages instead of changing what they're doing, they just have to send more messages. So you got to work harder, send more messages, spend less time. And, and our, the premise of the book is if you'll stop and study your customers and prospects and learn more about them and change your approach, you're going to, you're going to open up your market yeah. and you're going to be more successful. And we've tested this. We've, yeah. there's actually three elements to how you position a meeting as we're talking about that, that element of the, of the sales process trying to get a meeting and prospecting. Mm -hmm. There's really three elements of effectively position a meeting. We start it, we talk about, you first want to lead with their point of view, which is another way of saying their whiteboard. And then you want to communicate disruptive truth, something, an unknown truth or an unknown principle or unknown stat about a better way to solve their problem. And because that's one of the reasons uh, the, also that decision makers aren't meeting with sellers because they feel like they have nothing to say. Yeah, yeah. Right. You have nothing to say. I don't, real decision makers don't meet with sales reps because they're yeah. just going to represent their, their products. And they go, I can get, I get that information from the internet or I can get somebody else to get that information, but you can't really help me solve a problem. You can't lead me because you don't know where to take me. Yeah. And so by communicating a disruptive truth, you're demonstrating that you're, you've got some thought leadership and you're worth following. And then the last is what unique, what's, what do you offer that's unique? What's we call it proprietary benefit? What's the thing that you own that can that you do differently than everything else? And it might be how you do it, it may be what you do, but what do you do that's different? And I've had some emails that sometimes I get uh, that are very effective, like from marketing firms. And they'll say, We can generate leads for you, and they'll describe my problem. I'm like, Great. And then they'll communicate maybe something a little bit disruptive or a little bit that, that they can do that, about how to better generate leads. But then they don't tell me what they do differently. Right. And so I, I read it, but I don't engage. Yeah. All of this to say, when those three elements are together, we've tested it and we've seen a 366% increase in response rates where people will respond. Yeah. So, so does this necessarily change how a salesperson has to not just prepare, but if somebody's going to be able to in some ways challenge somebody right. with a strategic question, perhaps that they're not even thinking about. Because one, to me, one of the most successful things somebody can do is help me understand a problem I don't really understand fully exactly. that, that, that I have. But th doesn't that right off the bat mean a typical salesperson has to be, I, I'm, I'm struggling with how to pr propose this question, yeah. not necessarily smarter, but they just have to be a higher level of thinker, don't they? I don't know if they really have to be smarter. Here's the thing that a salesperson has that, that, that anybody they're calling on 
uh, or maybe a resource that they have that everybody they're calling doesn't have. If you're a typical sales rep, how many decision makers are you talking to or customers you're talking to in a month? If you just ask one or two questions every month to everybody you talk to and you just focused on learning from them and what do most people don't know about a better way to solve their problem and you started to share that, you would be somebody worth following. Yeah, yeah. You'd have the playbook, wouldn't you? Could you hear you'd have a playbook. <laughs> if you said, look, what's on your whiteboard? If I'm talking to anybody, I'm calling it, if I were selling to you, John, and as a consultant author, you have a whiteboard. And every time I talk to you, if I talk to 50 authors and marketing experts and consultants, you would have a problem and you would have a whiteboard. And I would see that there's three or four things. And then I would, how'd you fix that problem? And then I would learn, okay, most people don't know that. And so then I would start sharing that knowledge. And so really sellers need to be more of a synthesizer of information, yeah. distill it down and then share it. They're, they're too focused typically on the pro, on the solution that they offer. And that's what's on their whiteboard. And what are the talking points? Because that's their comfort level. Yeah. And again, they're trying to speed up the number of messages they send. Here's my email. I've got my email and I'm just going to write it and change the name. Maybe put on a couple of things. I'll send more and more of those. And it's just not working. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. I talk a lot about tools and strategies to track customer loyalty and satisfaction. Whether it's predicting consumer behavior or diagnosing the many what's, how's, and why's of marketing, the HubSpot CRM platform has customizable solutions to help your business go from why not to what's next. I love all things duct tape, as you know, except for when it comes to a CRM platform. Many CRM platforms are either over-engineered or clunky and unreliable, costing you more time and money than they're worth. A HubSpot CRM platform means that you have purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. So whether you're just getting started or looking for a robust system, HubSpot is flexible and customizable, meaning it scales and grows as you do. With new features like business units, association labels, permission sets, and more, HubSpot admins can tailor their accounts like never before. And now with sandboxes, admins have access to a production-like account, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment without risk. Learn more about how you can customize your CRM platform with HubSpot at HubSpot.com. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to tee mm -hmm. it up for you. Uh, how important is listening then become? <laughs> Yeah. Really, receptivity starts, real receptivity starts in, in discovery by validating the customer or decision maker's point of view. Once you get the meeting, you're going to have more influence by articulating and validating their point of view than what you say. When you really know how what we call take the trip and leave our point of view, which we're comfortable with, we understand our point of view, because when you're influencing, there's always two points of view. Or they, otherwise, you're not influencing. Influencing means you want to change belief. Most people think of selling as kind of relationship management or fulfillment. But if you're really going to create demand and you're going to influence people and change the way they see the world and influence them on changing how they're planning on doing something, there's going to be two points of view, their point of view and your point of view. And if you can leave your point of view and take the trip and see their point of view, we call it, we think of it as there's two, you think of one person's on the North Pole and the other person's on the South Pole. So you have these two kind of polarized points of view. If you can leave your position take the trip and articulate their point of view. And they say exactly, you know, John, here's what I understand. You're saying that this is what's important to you. And this is what's unique about your organization, unique about your challenges. And, and you say exactly, that's when influence begins. And then they will take the trip and see your point of view. Or you may find out, well, actually, I really can't help them. 
and that's fine. Traditionally, a great bit of receptivity happens Mm -hmm. face to face because we connect somehow. My dad was a you know, bag carrying salesperson all his life. Yeah. And I remember him used to say he'd walk into an office and he'd see pictures of the kids. He'd see the golf trophy. He had right. all these connection things, right? Mm-hmm. Now that we're doing this in Zoom meetings and in email, and how how different is virtual selling than face-to-face? Yeah, it is much more difficult to create that intimacy virtually than it does, you know, than it happens face-to-face. There's a lot more immediate trust and relationship typically, but if you're eye to eye, I always think about driving a car and how you interact with people on the highway versus how you interact with them if you're standing in line next to them. So there's definitely a different level of intimacy. And we've recognized there's about five main barriers to selling virtually. Mm. Um, and um, that was, that's actually something we talk about in the book. If you can address the receptivity challenges, you can do, it works either where you're face-to-face or over the phone, honestly, or a virtual meeting. Like a lot of things that you do uh, to create receptivity, like taking the trip and validating their point of view. You have to be better at asking questions. You have to be better at responding. You have to be better at reducing pressure. You've got to be better at how you articulate and position your, either your recommendation. So all those advanced skills are required virtually and they may not be required face to face. For example, if you're in discovery, one of the most difficult things is to uncover the truth. Mm-hmm. It's like to get people to really tell you what their informal decision drivers. Like, here's what I really care about. Not the formal stuff that they tell everybody, but the stuff they lean in and say, okay, really, we really don't know what we're doing. And I know I had a a decision maker tell me that he goes, I'm not a really, I'm not going to be a good buyer here and I'm not going to negotiate very well. I just come to tell you, it's almost like I'm going to quit this adversary relationship. I'm just going to open up. And that's what we ultimately want to happen. And that's more about how you ask questions and how you respond. And if you can do that well, virtually, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. So as I listen to you talk about the things Mm -hmm. you have to get better at to be more receptive as a salesperson, I'm wondering if this maybe actually could just be a great communication skill, a way of life. I think you even write about it in in the book. How, How have you presented that idea, particularly as you start working with and training Maybe in some cases, some unreceptive groups of salespeople. (laughs) How do you get them to use that as a lever to say, this would make you a better person as well as a better salesperson? I love that question. We always start a session off, a workshop off, is there's nothing more important than your relationships, right? You're never happier than your relationships. So everything we teach in our workshops and in this book is also improves your relationship. My ability to take the trip with my wife and have the oh moment and go, oh, that's why you feel this way and feed it back to her. And she says, exactly. That improves my relationship. That creates intimacy. That creates empathy in me. My, my ability to make a decision about who's first. Because here's, that's a simple thing. Like the decision you make before every meeting ultimately determines what's going to happen in the meeting. Because either you are the most important person in the room, you're the hero of the story, or I'm the hero of the story. That's always true. So stopping... And deciding if I'm going to be what I call other-centered or self-centered drives our relationship. And so all of the things that we talk about in the book, except for some things like how to handle reject objections right, right, and things right. like that, you know, some practical model, almost all the principles apply to our relationship and our personal life. So matter of fact, one of the things we say is what works in life works here is that if you don't apply it at home, it won't actually work at work. You can't turn it on right. and turn it off. <laughs> there is no on and off switch to, to 
to being effective at interpersonal relationships and effective at influence. And the most influential people do it all the time. Yeah, yeah that's very important. Like I was washing the dishes the other night that I'd worked a 17 hour, and it was a 17, 14 hour day. And we had some people over and I just was watching the dishes because I just wanted to help. And my wife had worked hard during the fix the meal and all that stuff. And a lot of times I cook, we share, but I was watching the dishes. And I found myself wanting to be appreciated. Hey, I'm washing the dishes after this long day. Do you appreciate me? And I remember thinking that's the worst way to get somebody to appreciate you is right. to tell them to appreciate you. Right. So that's a concept we talk about in the, in the book about dropping the rope instead of pulling the rope and trying to force people to do things. But when I drop the rope, she's open and free to be able to communicate to me whether she appreciates me or not. And so it's the best way possible for us to have a relationship versus controlling and trying to get her to do something. And that enhances our relationship. There's a personal example for you. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And and while a lot of, I think, there are people that are naturally more receptive and they, mm-hmm. guess what? They're probably better salespeople. But what I'm yes. hearing you say, of course, is that you can teach this, but it has to actually become a life skill and not just a work hack. Yes. Yeah. It can, it can, that also speaks to motive. If I'm trying to learn these things just to manipulate other people, it will backfire because motive is ultimately transparent. And so if you're, we all know when someone's working us. So if they like, well, give me these tools and these cool techniques so that I can then go leverage them to manipulate. (laughs) But if it becomes who you really are, it's going to work in life. Uh, It's going to work in your personal life and at work. Awesome, Tom. Thanks for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Tell people where they can find out more about Unreceptive and the work that you are doing with sales folks. Beautiful. Uh, the best way to check out the book is unreceptivebook.com. That, that's got uh, all the information you need about the book. And of course, you can buy it um, on Amazon or any place the books are right. sold. It doesn't come out till the, the 9th of November. So, right. Depending upon when you're listening to this, yeah, it'll be available November 9th. Anywhere you want to send them to learn about your work? AslanTraining.com. AslanTraining. Yeah, Aslan, if if an organization is looking for sales training uh, and wants to improve uh, an organization's ability to get more meetings, convert more prospects, or grow accounts, go to AslanTraining.com. Awesome. Tom, it was great to catch up with you. Hopefully, we'll see you one of these days out there on the road. Thanks, John. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, Check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says Training for Your Team.